Hello and welcome back to Long Ball Football, a weekly podcast by two English brothers doing their best to get their head around the domestic Portuguese game. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's your week been? Yeah, it's been all right, man. Yeah. Um, how about you? Yeah, not too bad. Getting back to work after Christmas is always a struggle. I'm fortunately on um, furlough at the moment, so um, it's a lot of FIFA for me. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of FIFA and Googling pointless Portuguese football stats for us to include yes. in the podcast. Well, actually saying that, it has been useful not being at work to prepare these podcasts a bit more. We had actually done a lot of work towards this podcast and I was really pleased with how it was all planned out. But then this afternoon, that was all completely messed up when the news was announced that Edgar Davids will be joining the uh, third tier of Portuguese football. And now I feel like I just want to do a podcast dedicated to only that news story. <laughs> you, you sent me that uh, Twitter comment, which was like, <laughs> he must have bought a house in the Algarve and just bored. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so his, his last managerial job was Barnet. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. He had a great, I mean, player manager there as well. Oh, I love that. There was some statistic about he had like two or three red cards in nine games or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously the weirdest thing was that he um, gave himself the number one shirt. Oh, I know. That, that, that makes my skin just... Oh, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a weirdo when it comes to squad numbers. And, uh, <laughs> an outfield player is number one. It's, it's like Rui Patricia at Wolves where the 11, it just... Oh, oh, that makes me wretch every time I see it. Can't be doing it. You know, I went to see Oli You know, I've been to watch them play. Oh, so just a team you saw when you were out in Portugal? I don't know what on earth I was doing it was like I think it was the third time I'd visited Portugal and I still barely knew anything about the country I just knew that I was trying to visit different bits so I uh, wanted to go on a holiday in the south of Portugal flew into Faro airport decided to stay in Faro god knows why bad decision that's a different story though but like you we both when we go on holiday somewhere if possible like to try and take in a local football match so I had intended to watch Ferenc play because Ryan Gould was there at the time so that was kind of a interesting story in the end I managed to mess up the dates they weren't playing at home so I was just sitting on my phone in my hotel room sort of googling closest football matches uh, Oliao was like the next town along so I went down to see them it was about me and about 200 other Portuguese uncles sitting in this stadium watching really not a very good football team at all playing on a pretty awful pitch and the one thing I remember about that game was the team's anthem or at least the song that they play as the teams walk out is a variation of uh, New York, New York by Frank Sinatra, except they substitute New York for uh, Oli and Enns. That's brilliant. <laughs> Literally all I took from that game. Not sure I'll be going back anytime soon. Well, if Edgar Davis had been there, that would have made it even better. I mean, it's, it must be great for them. Like, I mean, there's not much you can say about his managerial career from his time at Barnet, really. I don't think they did too well. But in terms of sort of global recognition and like how this is set Twitter alight today like it's mm. it's going to be good for them in that sense I guess the one thing we're really praying for is that he, he puts the shirt on at some point when he realises that <laughs> he has to the- surely at some point <laughs> well to move on to more serious news from the league this week uh, one of the only news stories that I spotted this week Barney was about uh, Moderen's manager Cesar Pichotto leaving uh, after only seven games and from what I can work out it was he resigned as opposed to being sacked I'm not sure what that was what that's all about I know and um Paolo Lobo, who's sort of replaced him for the Porto game, said himself that he was shocked. All the players were shocked when they found out he was moving on. A bit out of the blue. I mean, I think he only lost twice in those seven games, which is markedly improved from the previous manager. Quite a strange run. I mean, it looks like um, coming out today, Vasco Stiabra, uh, the expo Vista manager, will be taking over from him, which could be a, another good replacement, I guess. Um, I, I thought it was okay at Boa Vista. Yeah, decent manager. I mean, obviously, 
had a very tough time at Boa Vista. We're yet to see whether Jesuardo Ferreira will do any better. So yeah, good for him to get another good job back in the league. Just not sure what Cesar Pichotto is up to really. Maybe he just didn't fancy it. Maybe he's got uh, an eye on another job. I know the Rio Ave job is currently available. Not sure whether that would be a significant step up. Weirdly enough, despite them doing so badly, I do think they probably have got the better squad, one or two better players to manage. But yeah, it seems like a slightly strange decision. I, I said it again last time that Mar- that Moreno's manager left is they need to replace Fabio Brew. And we'll touch on this later in the transfer talk. But um, they've only scored eight goals this season so far, and that's like and Siabra. From what we did see of his time at Bovista, he he was getting Angel Gomez playing very creatively, very attackingly. Um, they were quite exciting times. We think of that 3-0 win against Benfica. So it could be a very good fit, this one. And um, I think it's quite a good change. It just, yeah, weird, weird circumstances. Yeah, exactly. Well, as you mentioned, uh, today, as we record, Monday, January the 4th, sees the Portuguese transfer window open. We both love a bit of gossip. We love a few transfers. So later on in this show, after we've discussed some games that happened this week, we're going to be doing a bit of a January transfer special, looking at the big teams, who they might need, who they might sign, what players are available, all that good stuff. So stick around to listen to that. And just before we move on to discussing some of the games of this week, Barney, uh, I just want to mention a last bit of news, which was that yesterday, of course, Benfica's game against Santa Clara had to be cancelled after only five minutes due to adverse weather conditions. I mean, it wouldn't have taken a genius to look at the weather forecast and see that that game was not going to go ahead. I don't even know why they bothered taking to the pitch in the first place. The condition was abysmal. It was absolutely horrendous. I haven't seen season <laughs> that for ages. Insane. I know, but I've, the thing I think this um, highlights for me, though, is the gulf in um, finances between the Portuguese football and, it, say, English football. Like um, We rarely see games being called off in the Championship, the Premier League, for weather conditions. Never at all, really. But then that's the beauty of this league, is that, you know, Santa Clara Stadium is not a big stadium. It's not a well-equipped stadium. But the squads are incredibly talented. That's what's so bizarre, isn't it? This sort mm. of... You have this golf and finances, but the, the quality of player that we see in these leagues are is markedly better than League Two, League One. I guess it also highlights the golf and finances between Benfica and Santa Clara as well. And you know, they're both at top half of the table as we speak. But then you know, you look at Benfica saying they've probably got the under pitch uh, heating, they've probably got <laughs> like you know, all the technology, whatever. Not that it snows much in Lisbon, I imagine. But man, when that ball was just stopping dead after like <laughs> 30 centimetres. Comedy stuff. Comedy stuff. (laughs) And just one more point that I wanted to bring up from this game, Barney. Another reason that I was actually looking forward to watching was because Benfica's forgotten centre-back, Ferro, completely out of the blue, was in the starting lineup for this. And not only that, but was captain. I really did not see that coming, but he's a player who I've defended a little bit in the past. Uh, and I was intrigued to see how he played. You said to me at the time, during comparisons to Ruben Diaz at the um, beginning of the season when he was given the armband just before his move away for me it's the exact same story I, I, there's no other reason why he's grabbing the armband I can't I can't imagine he's been the captain before in the past yeah I, I reckon it's a bit of that like you like you suggested yeah it's a difficult one I mean there are a lot of similarities between him and Ruben Diaz both youth academy products both centre-backs both players that in the early days of their career Benfica had high hopes of but it's very clear that his career has not had the same trajectory as Ruben Diaz. And he has been linked quite a lot with an exit away from Benfica. That is something we're going to talk about a lot more in our January transfer roundup coming up towards the end of the show. But it was, I did just want to mention that because it was so bizarre to see him starting and even more bizarre to see him giving the captaincy.
Whitewood. There's only one place we're going to kick off this week's game discussion, and that's with the most important game of last weekend, which was Braga versus Sporting. A game that we were so excited to watch to see two evenly matched teams with two great managers coming up against each other. We were sure there was going to be some exciting football on show. Uh, it ended 2-0 to Sporting, Barney. And before the game, you actually mentioned to me you thought it might be Braga who came away with the win. Yeah, I had a little feeling. Um, I thought Braga's performances, <laughs> I thought Braga's performances recently have been really good. Really impressed with them. Sporting, there's been one or two which haven't been as good. You think back to the one against Benenens recently, but it was a really good quality game of football. I mean, I think the first half it was pretty hard to call which way the game was going to go. For Nuno Santos was through a few times, but some excellent last ditch tackles and the other end as well. Great defending from both teams, really. When you look at the stats at the end of the game, there was just the efficiency. I mean, Braga had 12 shots, three on target, but Sporting just the six shots, four on target and two goals out of those four shots on target. So I guess it came down to efficiency in front of goal at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, for me, this game exemplified the fine margins that differentiate title contenders from their competitors. That's what sets them apart. Uh, Like you said on paper, very, very even game. Uh, Both teams had their moments, for me, the difference was very simply that Sporting converted two of their chances and Braga didn't convert any. I mean, I don't think Braga played badly at all. In fact, I was really impressed, like you. Um, I thought they matched Sporting very well, both in terms of playing style and their ability to attack the opposition. They didn't sit back at all. The game could have been very different, of course. Barney Braga had the ball in the back of the net one minute into the second half. Uh, that was ruled out for offside. Maybe the game could have been different if that had stood, you know? I know it's one of those offsides as well where the striker doesn't really have an advantage. It's just like you've got VR and that's there to measure those fine margins and it is offside. But the impression I got from this game was more so than ever that Sporting's team, they were playing with such confidence like uh, like champions. You know, the defence was um, back to their best with Fidel coming back in. He definitely improved them for last week. And Neto as well, who I was critical of last game, he was absolutely had a brilliant game. Him and Pedro Porro on that right-hand side really kept uh, Gilano quiet, I thought. I mean, Pedro Porro, man, he was absolutely immense. I know he's captained Spain at the 21 level. And uh, I'm not saying he's the exact same player, but it reminded me of Puyo Ramos in his aggression, his attitude to the game, you know, celebrating throw-ins. Just, just a majestic performance, really, from him. I mean, he's just a fantastic player. Uh, he's been a real gem for sporting, a great signing in the summer. Uh, one of their standout players for sure certainly one of the best fullbacks in the league at the moment Uh, the question I wanted to ask you Barney was because for me there was a a worry about Braga's defence in this game they had both their first choice centre-backs unavailable for selection but for me they actually defended admirably Uh, I mean the game in many ways for me felt like a traditional local derby even though I know these aren't two local teams that's just what the game felt like two teams defending really well uh, some aggressive tackles. I thought there could have been a lot more cards in the first half. The referee was quite restrained in the first half. He didn't give out too many yellows early, which in fairness, I think helps the game to flow. But yeah, whilst Braga didn't have their strongest eleven available for selection, uh, it didn't affect the intensity of the game at all. I do think, um, as you mentioned, with no Carver and Bruno Viana, there, there is a little drop-off for me in that centre-back pairing of Raul Silva and Rolando. They're both quite a bit older, a little bit slower. I agree, I do think they did all they did all right and they did the best they could, I guess. I also saw people talking about um Braga having not properly replaced Trincao like after he moved to Barcelona in the summer for missing his creativity. And you can sort of understand why because he's clearly a great player, but they're playing a bit of a distant system now. And and if you look at the goals in the league they've scored this season, they've scored 21 after 12 games compared to 15 and 12 games last season. So the creativity's there, the goals are there. I just think 
I've been treating Braga and Sporting almost as equals this season. But we've got to remember, you know, when you look at the squads, there is that difference. There is, you know, you've got Quartas who used to play for Liverpool, Fedal used to play for Real Betis, Jao Mario used to play for Inter. These are all excellent players who've done it on the big stage. When you look at Braga's squad, they haven't got those same calibre of players. They've, they've been performing incredibly well. Um, but it's, I think we need to remember that with Braga. And I've, I think I've let myself forget that recent, in recent weeks. You're completely right there, Barley. And I think just one more point I want to make about Braga and this game was that it also showed uh, the psychological difference between the two teams and perhaps psychologically what it takes to be champions as opposed to what it takes to be a team in fourth place. Because I was slightly disappointed with how the Braga players seemed to let their heads drop in the last 20 minutes or so of the game. You know, once they had that goal walled out for offside and once Sporting took the lead against the run of play at the time, uh, they did seem to let that get to them. And I felt like after that, they kind of lacked a little bit of belief and that's what helped uh, Sporting go on to get the second goal. Yeah, and I think that was um, a, a good substitution from Amarin um, going with Mateus Nunes. Um, and it did sh- sort of change the shape a little bit as well. No, I thought it was... Um, yeah, I think they managed that game really well, Sporting. Well, as we said, it was certainly a game of fine margins and a win for Sporting, uh, which sees them take all three points and keeps them at the top of the table. Again, another game this week, buying which didn't come down to fine margins was Porto versus Monadens. Uh, it ended 3-0 to Porto. I thought it was a very business-like performance, uh, but it was a game that was notable for a number of incidents. I'm not sure where we should start here. Um, the most obvious was a very dubious offside decision. Maybe we'll come on to that in a second, but what were your thoughts on the game overall? For me, to go back to a fine margin, for me it was um, Tony Martin is not getting sent off. Yes, interesting. I was going to say that as well. Yeah, I think that I think that was clearly a second yellow card. Um, he then got, went on to get the second. Because um, Morians, to be fair, had kept themselves in the game, even though they were sort of backskinning the ball for most of it. But yeah, I don't know what you, what you thought about that. I thought that was a clear second yellow. Well, we should probably circle back on Tony Martinez because his 20 minutes on the pitch was full of incidents. Uh, he only came on the 70th minute. He's been used quite sparingly uh, by Sergio Contessao. He's certainly not the first choice striker, uh, but he came on at 70 minutes for Musa Morega. And the first thing he was involved in was an incredible VAR offside decision. I've never seen anything like it, Barney. He'd actually put the ball in the back of the net. He thought he'd got his first league goal for Porto, uh, but it went to VAR and they deemed that Mediterrani in the build-up to the game had been offside by three centimetres. It's definitely the closest VAR offside decision I've ever seen in any game, not just in this league. Uh, I know a lot of Porto fans were unhappy about that. I'm inclined to sympathise because surely VAR is not claiming to be accurate down to three centimetres. So in my mind, if they get a decision that the computer is telling them is that close, surely they should just say, well, we're just going to have to refer back to the on-field decision because at that point, VAR cannot claim to uh, be so accurate. I agree with you that it's hard to claim to be that accurate, but at the end of the day, they've they've got a technology there. It gives them a measurement and you've, you've got to go with that if, you know, if you're going to use VAR at all. It was a fine margin, but if it happened the other end, I'm sure Porto fans would be saying, you know, it's, it's, it's offside for Morians. Yeah, of course. But Tony Martinez's afternoon didn't end there. Like you said, I agree he should have had a second yellow card. He went through the back of one of the Morales players uh, quite unnecessarily, I thought. And as soon as that happened, I thought that was it. He was going to be he was going to be off, but the referee didn't give it. VAR didn't give it. So he was arguably lucky to stay on the pitch, but it was great for him that he did because he got what he believed to be his goal in the end. Uh, it was a cross from Sergio Oliveira. Uh, and after Tony Martinez being robbed, arguably, of his first goal, he 
touched home the second after being after it being blocked about three times, got a massive deflection. I mean, I've got a lot of time for Tony, but I'm not sure if that can really go down as his goal or non goal given the size of the deflection. That was going miles out. That was near the goal. That was definitely an end goal. But no, I mean, he'll be happy. And then obviously Evan Nielsen coming on and they get the third and just killed, like, yeah, absolutely killed the game. Faintest of touches for that goal as well. Uh, they, they were the, mo- the more dominant team, absolutely. Um, Moraes didn't really um, attack that often, but when they did, I thought Leighton Mbembo looked, uh, once again, a really solid partnership. Uh, before we move on, Barney, I do just want to quickly give a shout out to the Moraes goalkeeper. Uh, Matteo's Passanato because it would be so easy in a game like this to ignore Morans a bit. I mean, they were quite easily swept aside by Porto, uh, but Passanato pulled off an incredible double save about 40 minutes in, uh, showed incredible reflexes to keep out first Taremi and then Morega. Just really unbelievable goalkeeping that deserves to be commended. So I just wanted to give that a quick shout out uh, and definitely want to go and look back on uh, if you're watching the highlights. Right, but there's just one more game I wanted to touch on quickly, Barney. Uh, you picked it out as la- last week, I believe, as a game to look out for, uh, and that was Passos de Ferreira versus Rio Ave, a game that ended 2-0 uh, to Passos de Ferreira. Uh, and it really was of interest to me just because I wanted to analyse the performance of two teams having very different seasons, really. Passos playing very well, perhaps punching above their weight slightly at the moment, trying to get into that top five or six spot, and Rio Ave, who started the season in the Europa League, played really well against teams like AC Milan and almost qualifying for the group stage. Uh, but since then, they've been so disappointing. Uh, and it really was a similar story in this game, unfortunately. Passos won 2-0. Two good goals from Douglas Tank, someone I know you're a fan of. But they were two of the easiest goals he'll get all year, both down to awful defensive mistakes from Rio Ave, really sloppy defending. And it is really disappointing me just how badly Rio Ave are doing. They look like a shadow of the team they were at the beginning of the season and it's made all the more bizarre by the fact that they've got some really talented players on their books. They look like their confidence is absolutely gone. Like you mentioned, those two goals, they're just nervous, um, silly passes. They're not thinking straight. I think um, there's some really creative players in there. I think Gerard has impressed off in that first half. I thought he looks, he was some incredible touches on the ball. Taken off at half-time though, Barney. Yeah, that's a, that's a strange one, isn't it? I mean, I he, I don't think he seems to be that fancied there at Riyadh. Um is he on loan from Sporting? Uh, I'm not entirely sure whether he's on loan or permanent. I think it might be permanent. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that's a shame because I, I I really like the look of him. And then, yeah, once again, I mean, they're just, they're not scoring anywhere near enough. And then that's the reverse for Passos. I feel like they're full of confidence at the moment. Um, like you say, Douglas Tank seems to be getting off the mark now, scoring more and more goals. Uh, the wingers are good. Um, I think uh, Pepe has won manager of the month for their recent performances. And Bruno Costa, their number 10, has won um, Young Player of the Month as well. I think he's been, he's looked really good to me. It all seems to be coming together quite nicely for them. And I, I do wonder if they can be challenging um, Vittorio Grimaris for that sixth spot, possibly even going up to fifth, who knows. Yeah, they certainly seem to be the main challengers uh, for that fifth spot at the moment. They're playing above and beyond quite a modest team that they are at the moment. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, some faces starting to perform. Uh, Luther Singh, uh, and Steven Eustachio are two players that I want to shout out as well. I know we've talked about them a lot recently, Barney, so I won't go into much detail, but uh, another impressive performance from one of this season's most impressive teams. Right, well, it's a moment me and Barney are certainly both very excited for, and that is the first transfer window that we've covered 
since doing this podcast, both me and Barley love a transfer. We love a rumour. You'll never see us on Ultimate Team on, on FIFA. You'll always find us on career mode, wheeling and dealing, uh, bringing in new players. So when the first transfer window of our podcast rolled around, we had to do a little January transfer special. So this week, we're going to be looking at four of the big teams, Sporting Lisbon, Benfica, Porto and Braga. What players they need? who they might get, who they've been linked with. And we're going to kick it off with Sporting Barney. And in terms of what they need, the obvious answer to that question is a striker. Yeah, they haven't shied away from the fact that they're openly looking for a number nine. Um, they've reported that they're looking within the league, but also out of the league. Um, it seems that Spora is not fancied as much. Thiago Thomas performed well, but not the calibre that they're looking for. And then there's this Paulinho rumour that just doesn't go away no matter what. Well, let's talk about Paulinho, Barney, because it's the most concrete rumour that we have, really. Um, so I'm going to put to you some pros and cons. You can tell me what you think. Obviously, he'd be a fantastic fit for them. Uh, great experience within the league, proven ability. He's a Portugal international. But the downside to that, I think, is that he could be quite an expensive option. And also, there's this suggestion that Sporting could face competition from teams abroad. For example, Wolves are another team that have been linked with him quite a lot. I think those pros and cons you mentioned are, are spot on. I think, particularly when you look at his price, the only thing that would perhaps deter a team like Wolves say is is the fact that of his age. He's was he twenty seven going into twenty eight. He's not got. He's probably playing his best football now. He's not going to be playing that in a couple of years. So couple that with the price that I imagine Braga will be asking for him. I think that could deter Wolves from sort of tipping their toe in the water for him. Amran's obviously coached in the end of last season. He knows he loves him. For me, I, I think it's a perfect match for him going to Sporting. I'm not sure he will, but you know, imagine him with Pote and, and Nuno Santos just buzzing around that penalty box together, like 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 we see Ricardo Horta do with him. It, I think it would be perfect. It would certainly be a fantastic fit, and I think Braga fans are going to hate me for saying this, but I think part of both of us would love to see that transfer come off. Uh, I was thinking about other options, Barney, in case it wasn't possible. Uh, the first one that came to my mind was Thiago Santana, who would have been a great option. But of course, has left for Shimizu S-Pulse in Japan. Could have been a great budget option with great league experience. You mentioned last week you didn't think he had quite the athletic ability, which is fair enough. But one other name that I think could be a genuine option to consider uh, would be Rodrigo Pino from Maritimo. Currently one of the league's top scorers, performing very well this season, despite playing for a team at the lower end of the table. His contract's up at the end of the season, Barney could be uh, a good option for them. Yeah, I mean, the stats speak for itself with him. I mean, you sent me something the other night where... In the, he's twentieth in out of uh, in goals and assists for the year twenty twenty out of Europe's top ten leagues, which is incredible. I think there's been a few rumours as well around Benfica being interested in him. He's he's a perfect acquisition because if you can get him cheap now, or you can get him in a free at the end of the season, he's definitely cap- he's good for this league. I don't know if they Sporting perhaps need to be thinking about they're probably going to get Champions League. Let's be honest, you know, if not Europa League. They might need to be thinking about that in terms of they need someone who's going to be able to compete at that level as well. And I think that's something that Paulinho will be thinking about realistically. I mean, I'm not sure where Wolves are in the Premier League at the moment, but I don't think they're guaranteed European football by any stretch of the imagination. Whereas if he goes to Sporting at this point with two guaranteed Champions League spaces in the Portuguese League, uh, you imagine Sporting will be uh, on course to grab one of those. Uh, in terms of other positions, Barney, you can tell me your thoughts, but other positions that I thought Sporting could look to reinforce would be at fullback. Uh, and actually, I think possibly on both sides. One player I wanted to talk about who we mentioned earlier was Pedro Porro. 
uh, who's currently on loan, but allegedly, and I've not been able to completely ratify whether this is true or not, but allegedly has an option to buy for a fee of around 8 million to 9 million euros. It would be an absolute no-brainer if that was true. He's been excellent for them all season, uh, one of the top fullbacks in the league. And the only question at this point is, would Man City want to keep him? Well, that's it. I mean, you've got Carl Walker who's ageing. Jao Cancelo's been kidding it at the moment, but... It's, I mean, it is still a two-year loan as well, so they'll have next year with him. It, it could work out nicely for City that he's there for those two years and then comes back and perhaps pushes for first team with City. I think the thing with the fullback positions, though, is that I they'll be playing deputy to either Porro or um, Nuno Mendes. So there's that to bear in mind. Like, there's this um, another rumour that's been bearing around a long time is a race from uh, Rio Ave. Looks like that deal's practically done now. He was linked with Porto in the summer as well, wasn't he, Barney? As a Tellez replacement, obviously they went with uh, Senussi. The only question I have about that transfer is that would see them with three left-backs on the books, uh, with Antunes also joining uh, in the summer. Does that signal the departure of Nuno Mendes? There's actually a bit of um, left-back merry-go-round I wanted to talk about um, okay. within this league. So Oleg Riabchuk from Passos Ferrero, who's just moved to Olympiacos. Now, he's an ex-Porto player. He played for Porto B. And um, they were offered first refusal uh, on him, but they, I think he they turned that down anyway. So he's gone to Olympiacos. So passes for a, without a left back. Sporting get Reese. And then apparently Antunes is now linked with Pachos in in terms of being the replacement for uh, Oleg. So that could work out quite well. I think Antunes is a great player. I, he's not getting that many minutes under Amarin. And that could be a deal that works for both parties. It would be a great experience that Pachos team. And, you know, they're flying high at the moment, but. Uh, a signing like that could bring invaluable experience and ability to their back line. Uh, we should just touch on some potential departures for Sporting Barney. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Sporting 160EN on Twitter, who do a fantastic sporting related podcast. They put out a tweet of players they think could leave Sporting in the summer. Uh, and that list is Borja, Camacho, Ilori, Bruno Gaspar, Renan, Ristovsky. Uh, and Lou Moore. The question I want to ask you, Barney, is if all those players leave, as is suggested, does that leave them light anywhere? Perhaps that could leave them slightly light at centre-back with someone like Elori leaving. I know they play three at the back. so uh, But in general, I think their parches will mainly be Deadwood players who don't really feature anyway. Yeah, I think the sim- simply because of the fact they're not in Europe, they haven't got... They're just concentrating on the league and the cup. They don't need to be have that much depth. I do think it would be quite interesting, though, you know, particularly when you see players um, coming down with COVID so frequently, it would be interesting to see if, say, they lost two or three of those first-team players and the people they call upon, what effect that would have to their performances. Because, you know, you take out João Mario, Paulinho, um, Coates, Fedal, you know, suddenly that spine of that team is completely gone. And that's not, that's not so hard to imagine that that could potentially happen. Well, it seems like the majority of their budget if they spend anything, will be spent on a striker. So it is possible that they'll prioritise a player like Paulinho whatever, over backup players at this time. Well, a team who certainly haven't been shy of spending money recently uh, is Benfica, uh, who you'd think after all their spending in the summer wouldn't need any transfers. But uh, George Jesus, the manager, has been very vocal about the fact that he wants to bring some players in. And the main position he said he wanted to reinforce Barney was that defensive midfield, that kind of number six role. It seems to be JJ's priority to get a number six in. He's been vocal about his dissatisfaction with Weigl already this season. And it's a situation that's particularly weird given that they sent out Florentino on loan, uh, who would be perfect for that position and has played it in this league before. The interesting thing with Benfica is that the CEO has sort of been saying the revenue is going to be poor this season. If we're going to be acquisitions, there needs to be 
people leaving. I think Vigel has been mentioned. We've talked about Ferrer already. Uh, Todigo, I imagine, is going to go out to Barca. There's, you know, there's Samaras and Servi as well. I think for me, they're going to have to shift players before they do bring someone in. Yeah, I agree with your list of players that could leave there, Barney. Actually, I've written down here Chervi, Samaris and Ferro. Uh, the other name I've written down is Chiquinho, uh, a very talented player who's not been getting many minutes at attacking midfield. I wonder if he's someone who could perhaps be loaned out within the league um, rather than sort of going abroad. Because yeah, I've, I've rated him when I've seen him. and He would be a very good player for a lower league team. They could easily loan him out to a team lower down in the table and he would be a fantastic addition to any team outside the top three in this league, in my opinion. But I think it would be best for the club and the player if they don't want him to to let him move on permanently so that he can find somewhere to really develop and feel at home. Uh, if they do shift some of those players, Barney, they should have a bit of money to play with. And like I said, a number six is, is what they're after. And one of the most exciting names that I've heard mentioned that they've been linked with and a player who would be a fantastic signing is William Cavalio. Yeah, I mean, um, starter for Portugal. Um, I heard 15 million euros as well, which is an absolute steal. He went for big money. That seems incredible. So that would be that would be a fantastic bit of business. I I don't know if that's a bit pie in the sky and if the finances would actually come off because he's probably under canny wage. Yeah, I was thinking that that might be the one obstacle for them signing him. Possibly not the most realistic transfer. I think it could get expensive. And I was thinking about perhaps options they could look for within the league. Steven Eustachio, someone I mentioned earlier, probably not very expensive slightly unproven, a player with good ability, but probably realistically not an upgrade on what they already have in terms of Florentino and Julian Weigel. Um, the other name that came to my mind, Barney, was Ali Almazrati, uh, someone I've been super impressed with at Braga. Uh, he's got experience in the league now, although he was a recent signing, so I'm not sure whether Braga would let him move on anytime soon. I actually had his name down as well because his, his performance statistics have been fantastic and um, he's box to box, which is what Jorge seems to want. Um, you mentioned um, Florentino coming back potentially on, on loan. I think that's going to probably going to happen. But there's also uh, Gerson Fernandez as well from the Spurs. Who, when I saw him play for Spurs, I quite liked him. I thought he had quite a bit of touch. It's, uh, he was never really played in central midfield, though. He sort of played right back or right midfield sometimes. But him coming back, he could he could get into that team. You know, that could be a solution. Well, if he came back, I think the problem would be that he's not a defensive midfielder. Uh, he's a good midfielder, in my opinion, like you said, but he's much more an attacking central midfielder. He'd be uh, a replacement for someone like Tarabt, maybe, or allowing Pitsy to go and play out wide. So I'm not sure he'd be the solution at defensive midfield. Albert, I also wrote down that potentially they could do with a creative midfielder sort of number 10. I know simply on the fact that we've seen the stats this season, they're, they're not creating chances. You know, that's that's been one of their problems. A couple of names I wrote down there, these are a bit uh, bit outrageous. Uh, one is Papu Gomez from Atlanta. I think he's currently available. He's fallen out with uh, the management there. And so he's 32, but I mean, he's looked fantastic when I've caught him in the Champions League. Um, and then there's also... Once again, I don't think the wages would work here, but I've Ericsson at Inter uh, is, seems to be available. And Meza Ozil. I mean, Meza Ozil is being linked with like Fenerbahce, DC United, LA Galaxy. You know, if a team like Benfica were interested in him, you know, that's the place I'd want to go. I think, they're all, I think they'd all be fantastic additions for Benfica. I think they're all great players. I think Ericsson's probably going to make his way over to PSG with uh, Mauricio Pochettino by the looks of things. For me, though, that number 10 position is not down to the lack of players they've got in their squad. It's down to the formation that they play. I don't think they play in a formation which encourages that number 10 role. So for me, if they were to change formation, they have the players within that squad uh, already to fill that position. Uh, the other position that I wanted to mention, and I'm sure you would agree, is at right back. Uh, I think that's a position that's been an issue for them this season. 
Uh, Andre Almeida is 30 years old at the moment. In my opinion, he's still a player with a lot of quality, uh, but of course he has been out injured. Current backup Gilberto hasn't quite convinced at the moment, although in fairness, he's shown slight improvements in recent weeks. One option at right back that I saw on Twitter, I want to give us shout out to a Twitter account called Scouting by Jay uh, on Twitter, who does some great scouting of South American players. Uh, and he brought a player to my attention called Gonzalo Montiel, uh, an attacking right back from River Plate. Great delivery, uh, great attacking impact would offer something going forward that I think Gilberto doesn't. Uh, very interesting option as well, Barney, as he's running down his contract, uh, which expires at the end of the season. Yeah, that could be a good bit of business. I mean, the only thing with that, though, is I feel that um, Gilberto was a Jorge Zou signing here. That was, he wanted him. And I feel like it's almost admitting that he made a mistake with, with him if, if they were to go go for another rival. But yeah, with Andre Almeida out, they have looked weak there. Some other domestic options, Barney, that I was thinking about. Fale Sacco from Vittorio Guimaraes. Plenty of league experiences. He played 50 games for Vittoria uh, and always impressed me. So maybe they could look to bring him in. Eshgayo from Braga, a fantastic footballer, both offensively and defensively. I wonder whether the kind of slight rivalry between the two teams would mean that Braga don't sell to them. Reggie Cannon was linked. That was quite tentative, I think, uh, despite only signing for Bovis in the summer. The one player that I do want to talk about, Barney, uh, is another forgotten Benfica youngster, and that's Thomas Tavares, uh, a 19-year-old youth academy product, currently on loan at Alavege. Uh, I was disappointed to see he's only made one league appearance for them while on loan. Largely forgotten about, sadly, uh, but had a lot of talent uh, when I watched him play last season. He was doing things at right back at 18 years old that I thought were fantastic. I think that's the thing, really. Benfica squad isn't actually that big. They've, you know, they've pretty much got one backup player for each position almost. And then there's all these youngsters that are on loan, and you know the Benfica B team, where I imagine there's some great players there. It's just whether their youngsters are going to give them a chance because, like you said, if Thomas Torres come come back from loan, you know he could be definitely challenging Gilberto for that starting right back spot. Yeah, well, it's been the story of Benfica's season, really. Some of the young players who've uh, not been given the opportunities that they probably deserve. Uh, let's move on to Porto, Barney, currently sitting second in the table. And when I was thinking about what they need this season, I couldn't actually think of much in terms of the starting eleven. They did make a lot of signings in the summer. The only option I thought they might want to look into would be at left-back. Uh, I mean, I know Sanusi's been okay this season, uh, a bit up and down. Obviously, replacing Alex Tellez is uh, a bit of an impossible task. But I don't know about you. Personally, I feel like they could do with a bit of competition or cover for him, uh, seeing as when he's out, when he's been out, they've been playing... Uh, centre back at left back, most often Malang Sar. As I mentioned earlier with Oleg Riabchuk, they were they were keen for him. I think it was only going to be a couple of million, if, but he, the player himself sort of pushed through to go back to uh, to go to Olympiakos. So they're definitely looking, from what I can tell. I, I have thrown in a couple of names that are there's a pattern here which are a bit um, outrageous. But <laughs> um, Danny Rose, I wrote down because you know he's definitely not wanted at Tottenham. Then also Brandon Williams, who apparently is looking to go out on loan for Man City, and with Tellers going in the other way, they could do sort do each other a favour. And then yeah, Jack Williams as well from Frankfurt, who was on loan at Newcastle last year. He impressed me. I thought it's the attacking right back similar to Sanusi. Well, Danny Rose is not an awful shout because we've seen that Porto uh, have dipped into the Premier League market for some of the Premier League rejects, shall we say? They've had a. Uh, Grujic from Liverpool, uh, Felipe Anderson from West Ham, who just seems like he's completely surplus to requirements there. That brings me on to, Barney, some of the players that might want to move away from Porto. And this all comes from what I see as a, a bit of a greedy summer where they seem to pick up a lot of players that they didn't need. I'm thinking about Carassa, a player they brought in from Boavista on a free transfer. 
He was the first team right back at Boavista last season. Not seen barely a minute of football at Porto so far. Felipe Anderson, Nanu, another player who looks so good for Maritimo and now seems like he could be wasted. Are there any players that you think could be moving on? Uh, there's been big talks of uh, Nakajima moving to the United Arab Emirates. Uh, a player I was really excited to see this season, but it just seems like Conchita doesn't fancy him anymore. Uh, he's been linked with Alain or Anasa, and that would be um, a good player to get off the wage bill. Do you think Felipe Anderson's going to stay there? Because he's not. West Ham must be sitting there thinking he's, he's not playing, what's the point? But they could also be thinking, oh, if someone else is paying his wages, that's great. I think that's probably their mentality at the moment. They seem very keen to get him off the wage bill. It just seems like he'll probably be burning a hole in Porto's pockets and it's just a waste if, if he's not going to play because he's such a talented player. I think the good thing about this though is that Conchacel is giving Fabio Vieira and occasionally João Mario those opportunities when you would imagine Felipe Anderson being brought on, you know, these are substitutions. So I think that's really good. But otherwise, yeah, I agree. I think uh, Porto pretty set squad-wise, particularly up top as well um, in terms of striking talent. So yeah, I can't imagine being too busy. They're obviously sorting out this um, financial fair play situation, which they've, they've practically done with this Champions League run. Well, well let's move on to Braga then, Barney. Uh, and to me, they do seem to have a very balanced starting eleven. With decent squad depth, especially for a team with not the biggest budget in the league. Uh, but one area that I thought they could look at would be to improve at centre back. We saw them playing against Sporting at the weekend with their two reserve centre backs. Uh, and whilst I thought they played well, I think there's an age issue there with two players coming towards the end of their career. So I was wondering whether maybe they could maybe they could look to refresh that back line with a, a younger player, probably a domestic signing. You think about the opportunity perhaps to bring in somebody like Ferro if he does does leave Benfica although I believe he's been linked with teams abroad and perhaps bigger teams. So that's something that might not come off. Uh, if you'd asked me a month ago, I might have said Diego Late from Porto, who looked to be out of favour, but he seems to have made his way back into the team. And anyhow, when he was linked with leading, it was with teams like uh, Valencia. So the one player that I came up with, Barney, who they might want to sign was Thomas Ribeiro from Belenense, a 21-year-old centre-back, left-foot centre-back. Uh, he's played very well for them this season. Of course, we've made a big point about Belenens having one of the best defences in Europe this season. So he's clearly a defensively adept player, a youth player at Belenens. So, you know, they could look to move him on for a profit. So, yeah, that was what I picked out for them. Yeah, I think that'd be the smart thing for Braga to do to sort of look within the league and then hopefully with the potential of selling on in the future. I think Ribeiro is a good shout. I also popped to mind Charisma from Sporting, who seems to be out of favour there. Whether I don't know if he's good enough at the moment, this moment in time to sort of get into that that kind of Braga. But then they could even use him in part of the Paulinho deal if that's going to happen, because there's been a lot of talk of Sporting players going to Braga. I mean, uh, Rostovsky, the right Macedonian right back, has been rumoured, even though he, he probably wouldn't uh, get in ahead of a Sergio. It's hard for me to think of some standout centre-backs within this league, uh, to be honest. All of them who've caught my eye seem a bit older and I, I can't imagine Braga wanting to go for the, the older players at the moment. Otherwise, of Braga, I do think they've obviously brought in Abel Ruiz from Barcelona in the summer to sort of pay to deputise for Paulinho. But from what I've seen of him, I don't think if he was to move, he could step up and do the job they need at the moment. I think he's still young, he's still developing. That's just if Paulinho moves, but it could be to get another striker in for me. Yeah, I agree. Obviously, Abel Ruiz is a young player who they've signed with a view to playing and improving so we'd have to see how he'd do again I've said his name before but uh, Rodrigo Pino could be a good option to bring in another cheap signing from the domestic league at striker hit we've mentioned his name a couple of times now but of course we're going to mention him seeing as he's one of the league's top scorers and he's going to be available on a free transfer uh, at the end of the year so he's definitely going to be a player 
uh, in demand. Outside of the top four we've just discussed, Barney, are there any other transfer stories or rumours or any other transfer dealings that you see happening? It seems to be a similar story for a lot of clubs. Um, clubs need a striker, man. Clubs need goals. And you've got Family Calria, Av Santa Clara, Morians, all in need of a striker. There hasn't been that many outstanding performers within the league this season. Um, so I had a look about who's available um, outside of this league. Free agents is always a good shout to go to. And when you look at the strikers who are free agents, I mean... Daniel Sturridge, Alexander Patel, Wilfred Bonny. I'm not sure how achievable they would be for some clubs. But there's also some more realistic ones. Um, Seydou Dumbia, um used to be at Sporting, the Ivory Coast striker. He's currently a free agent. He last played with SEC on in Switzerland. Uh, he's obviously getting on, but I remember him being a great performer for Sporting um, back in the day. And then there's another one as well, uh, a bit lesser known, Welfen, um, Brazilian striker. He was let go by Vittorio Grimares in the summer. He was on loan at Pachos Ferreira last season. He was poor there. I think the season before he didn't perform. But his overall tally in the league is 16 goals in 72 games, which for me is not too bad. You know what? If I don't know if you agree on that. Like It's not awful. It's not awful. And if, if you are missing a striker, that could be an option. I think that the thing of all these clubs, don't they? they need goals. They need they need, um, they need need a striker. It's what everyone needs, isn't it? It's so, it's so difficult to find because as soon as somebody starts scoring, uh, their value goes up so much. I would, I'm just going to say, Barney, I would love to see Alexander Pato in the Portuguese league for one of the lower teams. That would be amazing. <laughs> oh, that would be an upstream. I mean, the big, big transfer rumour we haven't discussed yet on this episode is um, Consiga Honda coming to Porto Melens. <laughs> I mean, that's an absolute dream come true for us. I mean, do you think we'll be able to find time in between that and managing the Cambodian national team? He manages the Cambodian national team. <laughs> he manages the Cambodian national team while he plays. I'm sure he could. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the oh, guy's wow. the guy's an enigma. Uh, what a, what a legendary player, you know, a player who's played in so many different places. Yeah, we would love to see him in this league. It'd be fantastic. Well, that rounds it up for our little transfer special to signal the January transfer window opening in Portugal. Uh, we might touch on the January transfer window in other ways in the upcoming episodes while the window's open. Uh, but for now, it just leaves us to round things off for today's podcast with a couple of game recommendations. Uh, and we start on Friday, the 8th of January, which sees two televised games, Barney. Which of those takes your pick? Well, both for different reasons, really. Benfica, Tondeo, I, I like the look of just because I feel like Tondeo of one of these teams who pop up with a result every now and again. They, I think they've been all right so far. They obviously they didn't do it against um, Porto, but they gave them a good game. And then Family Cow Porto is just going to be, I, I think Family Cow are in free for at the moment. Personally, I think that could be a hammering there from Porto. Could be a bit of a goal fest if you fancy that. That one's at nine o'clock uh, on Friday night on the live score app. Benfica versus Tondela is the earlier game at seven o'clock if you want to check uh, either of those games out. Uh, the only other game that stands out for me over the weekend, Barney, hidden away at eight o'clock on Sunday, could do a lot worse than Belenenses SAD versus Passos de Ferreira. Two teams that impressed us this season. Absolutely, I think that could be a real good game. Um, the last two games I've watched of both of these, they've they've both performed incredibly. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one on Sunday. Well, that's all we've got time for on this week's episode. If you'd like to get in contact, you can do so uh, on Twitter. You can find us at Football, or you can send us an email to longballfootball at gmail.com. Uh, we'll be back next week covering all the action from the weekend's games, transfers, news stories. Uh, but for now, we'll say thank you very much for listening uh, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week.